These are the daily lectionary comments for December 11th. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 28, beginning at verse 14. Um, the scoffers will scoff, but God will have the last word. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 5 that uh, emphasizes what we know. Okay, Isaiah 28, beginning at verse 14, begins with a word of the Lord against the scoffers. Now, the scoffers, these are those who are ruling in Jerusalem. And um, the scoffers are characterized by simply not believing the message of Isaiah and the other prophets at all. They don't believe that uh, Assyria or anybody else is going to overwhelm Judah. They believe that they are going to be safe and just fine. Isaiah calls this their covenant with death and with lies. And what, what he really means is they have their plans. They have made their alliances and their plans and their hopes. Um, that They believe that the walls of Jerusalem will protect them. They believe that their alliances with Egypt will protect them. They believe various things like that. And they are not believing what God has promised is going to happen and why. They're not repenting. Um, they're simply trusting in their, their own devices. So they've made a covenant of death. They are scoffers. Uh, and the word of the Lord here uh, in, this, uh, in this devotion today is directed at them. So having commented on these scoffers, you look at verse 15, talks about their covenant with death. But in verse 16, the Lord talks about his ultimate remedy, what's really going on with him. The Lord could not care less about the schemes or the plans of these scoffers who rule Jerusalem. The Lord has laid in Jerusalem a trusted cornerstone. A cornerstone he's laid in Zion. And this uh, this is a picture of the Messiah. In other words, God's ultimate plan for Jerusalem has nothing to do with the ability of the people of Jerusalem or the leaders of Jerusalem to defend themselves or to magnify themselves. God's plan for the future of Jerusalem relates to the Messiah, a trusted cornerstone. And this cornerstone will make righteousness the plumb line, okay? So in other words, the righteousness of the Messiah is going to determine the glory of, of uh, Jerusalem and not the plans and the schemes of the current leaders. So the Messiah is God's plan. It is his cornerstone. We think of Psalm 118 when it talks about the stone that the builders rejected being the chief stone. And that's taking off on that same idea that that uh, that Isaiah had developed here. The Messiah is the cornerstone of God's plan for the future of Jerusalem and his people. And one of the things that this Messiah is going to do is he is going to annul the hopes of the scoffers. Okay, by that he's going to annul their covenant with death and all of that. In other words, he's going to sweep aside whatever plans these people have for the future of Jerusalem. Um, the Messiah will displace all of that. And then uh, here, uh, right after that passage, uh, then, he, then the Lord again reiterates uh, his solemn promise that, that destruction is coming. Destruction is coming upon these people. Do not listen to these scoffers and your rulers but prepare for what the Lord is sending this way. In verse uh, uh, 21, he says something very interesting. The Lord will rise up on Mount Perizim, he says, and then he says, to do this deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien in his, is his work. Okay, what God is doing in bringing destruction upon Jerusalem 
is strange and alien. Luther takes up on this, and he talks about God's alien work. Essentially, what, what, and, and, and what Luther is saying here is that, look, what God is doing uh, in, in bringing about the future glory of Israel is not his alien work. That's proper to God. God has made promises and is going to fulfill them by glorifying his people. His alien work is all this destruction. His alien work is all, all this chastisement and punishment all the death and all the desolations that he brings upon the earth and particularly upon his own people. This is what Isaiah is describing as his alien work and his strange work. It's strange that God who loves his people would do this. And, and Luther agrees, it's strange and alien. Luther applies this idea of God's strange and alien work to the law. The law condemns us, uh, the, the, the law punishes us, and God, in his anger, causes all kinds of, of hardships to come upon our lives because of our sin. It's a strange and alien work. But the strange and alien work is ultimately designed to bring about God's proper work. That is what God is really doing in our lives, even when he is allowing suffering and uh, to come upon us. Ultimately, his goal for us is our, our glorification and our being with him. That's his proper work. And that's why things like God destroying and killing and all of that are alien. They're strange and alien for a God who loves his people. And they are indeed, unless you understand how they fit, how they fit in the larger scheme of things. And then finally, Isaiah finishes with a series of discussions uh, or sort of images about uh, how you harvest cumin or dill or, or wheat. Uh, and, and they all involve carts rolling over uh, the grain, uh, rods uh, to, to beat them, for example, and how much they are to be beaten. Um, so there's beatings and crushings. Um, but the, the point here is that when you harvest these things, you don't just beat and beat and beat and beat until it's all annihilated. Nor do you uh, harvest cumin or dill in the same way that you would harvest uh, uh, grain for week, but instead one requires one kind of beating or, or, or striking or, or crushing and another, another, and it requires just the right amount. And so Isaiah is talking about, look, all these desolations and chastisements and strikings that God is bringing upon his people, or for that matter, upon the nations, are carefully calibrated by God. They're just not wild outbursts of anger, but they're carefully calibrated by God to bring about the ultimate desire, and that is the glory of his people and also the coming of the nations to his people. So all of this, as violent and horrible and strange and alien as it may seem, has a purpose, and the purpose is deeply rooted in the nature of God and his purposes for us, his purposes to reconcile us to himself, that we should live with him forever. All right, First John chapter 5, John is wrapping up his letter, and he begins by saying, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So here again we have the idea that, uh, that to be born of God is to love one another, uh, to love the brothers, to love the fellow redeemed. Um, and so being born of God means to, to love uh, the fellow believers, and the one who is born of God overcomes the world. And what is it that overcomes the world? Well, it's our faith 
our faith that Jesus is the Christ born of God. So verses one through five kind of circle around and give us the beautiful little, little um, uh, uh, a rehearsal of the sort of the fundamental things that we Christians need to keep in mind. Believing that Jesus has come and been born of God, uh, uh, loving the brethren, uh, uh, and, uh, and overcoming this present darkness uh, by believing that Jesus is the very one. Now, uh, then there's this strange little section where it talks about the water and the blood, that Jesus did not come by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And so very quickly, let me explain what he's getting at here. The, 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 the ones who are causing the trouble uh, and who are trying to deceive the, the readers of John's letter, these are ones who are the Antichrist. They are, they are de, uh, denying that Jesus has come in the flesh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and they are trying to, to peel uh, these uh, believers off uh, because they're false prophets. And so ultimately, that's what, that's what John is addressing here. And he says, look, Jesus did not just come in the water, but the water and the blood. So one may say that... Uh, the coming of Jesus is not just his baptism by John, and the baptism of Jesus is not just water uh, and repentance in, in the baptism of John. But Jesus added to uh, the baptism and the Holy Spirit his blood. That is, he died for us. He really, really came, was really, really incarnate in this world, was truly made flesh, and he died for us. So what John is trying to say is, that being a Christian and believing in Jesus is not just a matter of the spirit, believing that the spiritual things are happening, somehow the spiritual things are important in Jesus' life, but denying that Jesus actually has come from God, has actually become a human being and actually died for us. And so that's why he's emphasizing that Jesus came not just by water, that is the Holy Spirit given to him and in spiritual ways is sort of transforming the world, but through his actual incarnation, his actual death to take away sins, uh, uh, and, and his actual resurrection. So he came by water and the blood. Finally, and so then, uh, then John talks about sins that lead to death and don't lead to death. Uh, very briefly, um, John acknowledges that there are all kinds of sins, and these sins are terrible things, and they are poisonous if left alone, but they don't necessarily lead to death but that there is a kind of a sin that leads to death. And this kind of sin, that, and what he's getting at here is the kind of sin that denies that Jesus came in the flesh, the kind of sin which those who have gone out uh, from the apostles but were not sent by them, the kind of sin that is animating these false prophets and is denying that Jesus uh, has come from God in the flesh, that kind of sin destroys faith completely. And so there is no forgiveness for one who turns away from Christ come into the flesh. Finally, of course, in, unless one repents of that and returns to the Lord Jesus who did come in, in the flesh. And then finally, uh, this last little section, he closes off uh, uh, his letter by focusing on things that we know. Verse 13 says, I write these things to you that you believe, may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, but look here, verse 18, it says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Verse 19, we know that we are from God 
and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So okay, we know that there is the kingdom of God and the rest of the world and that we are the kingdom of God and come from God. And look at verse 20. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And uh, we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He, Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. We know this. And I can't think of a better way for John to conclude uh, his letter than, than to say, this is what we know. Verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And that is these false prophets who are trying to pull you to another kind of Jesus, not the one who came in the flesh, but some other kind of Jesus.